I got something to say. God got something to say. And what you're going to hear today, fortunately or unfortunately, is not new to you. You've heard it in this church many, many times. Are we applying it, though? And we're going to hear it again in the application. And I think God is not just asking, admonishing. God is pleading with us for what I'm going to share today. Not so much the first part. You know, that's narrative. That's exegesis. But when we get to the application... God is pleading with us to hear what he's saying. And not so much for his sake, somewhat for his sake, because he needs us to do this, but more for our sake because of what we're going to face in the days ahead. We better know this and we better give attention to this before we find it's too late and all we wish we would have. Have you ever been in that situation? Man, I wish I would have. You don't want to be in that situation. That's a horrible feeling. So take what you hear today, especially at the end, to heart. And I think many of you already do, but there's room for improvement with every one of us. Introduction and brief review. Last week was Acts 25. Started that chapter, 1 through 12. We ended last week with a brilliant maneuver by Paul. This is all still Paul on trial, right? A brilliant maneuver by Paul appealing his case to Caesar. That flipped the case in his, in his favor. Paul was a Roman citizen. The request had to be granted. And of course, the seat of the government, the seat of Caesar's government, was in Rome. And Governor Festus said at the end of our message, the end of our text last week, you appealed to Caesar, Paul, to Caesar you will go. Paul is going to Rome. Primary point last week to ponder, though, was this. God is incredibly faithful in keeping his promises to us. He promised Paul he would get to Rome. He's going to fulfill that promise. Actually, if you remember, God said, Paul, you must go to Rome. It's not really an option. Disobedience is always an option. But if Paul's going to obey, he must go to Rome. It's not an option. There's a ministry assignment waiting for you there. God wanted... And God needed, I know it's always hard to think that God needs us, but he does. Because that's the way he designed his work in the world, is through his people. God needed Paul to get to Rome. So now, finally, Paul is going to Rome. Yes. Is that a place for an amen? Amen. Yes. It's been a long time coming. But now, pack your bags, Paul. You're going to Rome, my brother. Hallelujah. What do you think, though? Premature optimism? Is it really going to happen? Well, it is going to happen. But Paul has another chapter and a half in Caesarea. He doesn't sail for Rome until chapter 27. Today's text and title. First, the text, Acts 25 13 through 22, and Jamie, I think you're reading for me. If you'll come forward, the rest of us will stand.
Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them, and it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had the opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had points, they had certain points of dispute with them about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but when Paul asserted, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss at how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man himself tomorrow, said he. You will hear him. Thanks, Jamie. Good job. You may be seated. The title today is Further Delay. If there's one thing we don't like as human beings, it's delay. You heard the old adage, man, don't ever pray for patience. Because you know how God works to bring about patience in our lives. Well, let's exegete this passage. Let's break down the narrative, then application. So a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. So in his mind, Paul was going to Rome. But wait, what is this now? Something new happening? There's a stirring in the palace? What is going on? Well, Brother Paul better put packing for Rome on hold for a minute. King Agrippa and Bernice, his sister, by the way, everybody thinks that was the queen, his wife. No, that was his sister. King Agrippa and Bernice arrived from Judea to welcome Festus to his new position as governor. Is this going to now again delay Paul's departure? Since they were spending many days there, you see where it's going, right? It's not looking promising for Paul at this moment. The Greek here actually says they came to stay, period. They came to stay. They were moving in. They brought their stuff, meaning an indefinite amount of of stay, no determined end time. And Festus now in Paul's mind, it's going to have to give them the attention they deserve. You know how nobility is. You know how royalty needs to be treated. Better give them some attention. They were in Festus' jurisdiction over in Judea. Although in all fairness, from what I've read, this this King Agrippa, uh, he was one of the better rulers in the area. He was a man of integrity, and he was fair to Rome and to the Jews, He actually was well-liked and respected among Jewish leaders. He's actually the son. King Agrippa is the son of Herod the Great. And that's who was in power when Jesus was born. This is his son now. 
But good guy or not, for Paul, the timing could not be any worse. With, will the governor now be distracted from the matter at hand? Would the governor now be distracted and forget about the case with Paul and him getting to Rome? Man, he was almost there. He could taste it. Bags were packed, ready to sail. King Agrippa and Bernice showed up. Another disappointment. Another obstacle. Another delay. Will it never end? Does that sound like your life and trying to fulfill God's will in your life? Keep these phrases in mind because from this, another disappointment, another obstacle, another delay, will it ever end? From this, we're going to get our application at the end. And it will be very similar to last week. Actually, it's vitally connected to last week's application. The two go hand in hand. And last week's application is probably not possible if we don't know this week's application. At least not as effectively possible. Festus discussed Paul's case with the king, King Agrippa. And he said, there's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. So Festus inherited Felix's problem. He inherited this case, Paul with the Jews. There will be further delay, but in reality, Festus was not going to forget about Paul. He actually wanted to discuss the case with King Agrippa, looking for some advice. Let me explain. King Agrippa had been in the region for quite a while, grew up there. And as we said, he was the son of Herod the Great. King Agrippa was very familiar with the Jewish religion, very familiar with the Jewish culture. He was very familiar with the events surrounding Jesus, and he was very familiar with the growth of the Christian movement in the Jerusalem area. So he had a lot of familiarity, a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience in these matters. Actually, one of his roles in the area was to appoint and install the succeeding high priest when their turn came up. History actually recognizes him as an expert in Jewish affairs. Well respected by the Jews, we said that. Who better for Festus to talk with about Paul's case than King Agrippa? Makes total earthly sense. You still with me? Acts 25, 15 through 21. This is, this is a, um, highlights out of that passage. It's not all of them. When his accusers got up to speak, this is... This is Festus talking to Agrippa. When Paul's accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their religion, and I love this, about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive or is alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. This kind of a case is totally out of the usual for Festus. He's used to dealing with Roman affairs. He didn't even know where to start. Festus had no clue what to do with Paul, what to do with the Jews. Now, verses 15 through 21, that's about six verses. They're simply Festus reiterating the details of the case to Agrippa. We don't need to concern ourselves with that because we've been in this now for a few weeks. We already know this stuff pretty much. So we're not going to concern ourselves with it. However, I did think from the verses on the board, there's a couple of 
interesting and significant things. And first is that phrase, a dead man named Jesus. This entire case, this entire matter, this entire episode that we've been looking at for weeks now was in essence about what? It was all about Jesus. As is everything. Jesus. It was all because of, and it all revolved around Jesus. You can't hear Paul's case without hearing about Jesus, and that's what's going on here now again. Specifically, the Jews were saying, this man, Jesus, he's dead. We know from the Gospels that they actually paid the guards. These Jewish leaders, religious leaders, paid the guards to say that his disciples had come, stole the body, so that no one would talk of resurrection. Coming back to life. But Paul was saying, yes, Jesus did die. He was crucified, buried to death in the tomb, and many people witnessed that. But where the Jews are missing it intentionally, God raised him on the third day. The tomb where Jesus was buried was empty, is empty. Resurrection occurred. Jesus is was very much alive, is very much alive. And many have witnessed that as well. Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, just so we know, because we may have to talk to people about this. Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection have been historically verified as much as any historical event. Not just in the Bible. Through history. History of some of the nations that existed in that day. In Paul's theology, Jesus is not only alive, resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and by his Spirit now, he's directing the affairs of the church on earth. You get that? Did you know that? Jesus is alive, he's at the right hand of the Father, and through his Holy Spirit, he's directing the affairs of the church. That's us corporately. That's you and me individually. Jesus is now accomplishing his plans, God the Father's plans. He's accomplishing his plans and purposes on earth as it is in heaven through the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit through his church. And that included Paul and his companions. And that's what Paul was trying to tell Felix and Festus and now King Agrippa and Bernice. And anybody who, who would listen, anybody who was um, privy to the trial. So listen to this. If Paul is correct, then it's not Jesus who is dead. It's the Jewish religion that is dead. Which means the Jewish religious leaders will lose their political grip and their power on the nation. Always comes back to that. Some kind of earthly greed that's why they want Paul dead. Because they're going to lose some things they're holding on to and they're willfully rejecting Jesus. Man, the answer, you guys, is accept Jesus and become mighty in his kingdom instead of fighting against his kingdom and trying to do your own thing. Verse 
So Paul, he had a pretty good case because he had actually seen and had personal experience with the living Christ. It's not a dead man. It's a living man. It's what changed Paul's life. From one of the most notorious persecutors of Christianity to the one, of, one of the most notable promoters of Christianity. And this is something I want to say. It's a little bit of a side note, but it's for us. This is a by the way. A genuine, 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 a genuine encounter with Jesus, the true and living Christ, changes your life. I want to stay on the positive, but I think I have to say the negative. If folks are professing to know Jesus and there's no life change, there's reason for concern. Because when you meet Jesus, when you encounter him, the living Christ, he begins to change your life. And it becomes noticeable. If you're here today, I know most of you, but if you're here today and you have not yet had that encounter with him, please see me before you leave. It's life-changing. So Festus said, I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. Again, Festus had no clue what the Jews were talking about, but Agrippa did. And we're going to see that clearly in the next chapter, chapter 26. Agrippa completely understood this case. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Festus replied, tomorrow you will hear him. Now it's very interesting with all the, of Agrippa's extensive knowledge and his experience in all things Jewish, that instead of merely giving Festus advice, this is what you should do, which would normally be it, give Festus the advice, Festus carries it out. Instead of that, Agrippa requested an audience with Paul. He wanted to interview Paul himself. Curious, huh? Some scholars believe that Agrippa had heard so much about Paul, he finally wanted to meet and hear him personally. This was his opportunity. And we're going to see next time in future chapters, we're going to see some very interesting dialogue between Paul and Agrippa and Festus. Excuse me. For now, though, the story ends here, and the application begins. So I have a question for you to ponder. Was all this just happenstance? Was this just another coincidental earthly obstacle, just another random delay for Paul to push through or give up? Or could Agrippa's arrival in town, could all of this actually be of God? It's rhetorical. Could Agrippa's arrival in town be of God? Could this actually be ordained by God? part of the plan. No, the plan's to go to Rome. That's what we think. No, 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 no. The, the plan is, and God says, that is the plan, but that's, this is the timing for and whatever. So in Paul's mind, going to Rome, in God's mind, uh, not quite yet, a chapter and a half yet, then you can go. So could it be ordained by God? Could it be part of the plan? Could this influence for us how we begin to see delays? By looking at this, could this help us understand the obstacles and the delays and the opposition that comes against us when we try to do God's will? 
Rather than just thinking it's going to be a walk in the park and it's going to happen tomorrow, we'll be prepared to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Let's check it out. I want to take you back to Acts chapter 9. This is the account of Paul's encounter with the true and living Christ. This is after God had knocked him to the ground with a bright light, blinded him, so they couldn't go anywhere. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. Pay attention to the, the uh, bold italics. Go, this, is my, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. This, this word was given at Paul's conversion. Again, knocked, knocked to the ground by the great light of Jesus' presence, blinded for a time so he had to stay put and think about it. Then God sent Ananias to heal him of his blindness and give him his ministry assignment. He got his ministry assignment before he even could see again. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. Huh, wait, Agrippa's a Gentile king. Could this actually be of God, what we're reading today? Many years later, a lot of water has gone over the dam, but could this be a fulfillment of that word in 915? We may have forgotten about it. Paul maybe even had forgotten about it. But guess who didn't forget about it? God didn't forget about it. When God gives a word, he doesn't forget about it. Paul had yet further delay in Caesarea, more ministry assignment there. He had an appointment to witness to yet another Gentile king, Gentile ruler, Agrippa. So what can we learn from this for ourselves as followers of Christ? About delays and obstacles and opposition. All those things we usually complain about. And we usually see as negative in our lives. Maybe once in a while we'll say, could God be in this? But usually it's like the enemy or circumstance. So what can we learn from this? Those things that come into our lives... God's in control of everything. But don't mistake the fact that God does everything directly because there is evil that comes in too. But know this. If it's not directly from God, which a lot of our obstacles are that don't have the evil attached to it, if it's not directly from God, then it's allowed by God. And if God allows it, he has a purpose, perfect plans for us to work it out. My God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So here's the question for application. How can we better handle the delays, the obstacles, the opposition, which come into our lives as we seek to do his will? That's a fair question, right? How many in here have never met with a delay or an obstacle once you thought you had God's will? Anybody? Okay, then I'm talking to the right crowd. Last week's application will be a good part of this answer. I want to just remind us of that. It fits in. But we need today's application also. Last week was, we need to know God is incredibly faithful in keeping his promise to us. If he gave you a word, if he gave you a promise, if you got promises out of Scripture for us, for you, know without a doubt 
God is going to accomplish it. We need to know that. That helps us handle the delays and the obstacles and the opposition. This is not new for us, but it's so vitally important that God is pleading with us, his church. We need to know the scriptures. It's easy to sit in church and nod your head. It's much harder to open that book during the week. I just wonder, not many of us carry Bibles to church anymore. I understand that. We got phones and we got iPads and all that. But you'll get my illustration. I wonder how many of us go home from church, the Bible goes somewhere, and we pick it up again to come to church next week. And maybe if that's not true in our church, it's definitely true in the church. And you can see it. And God is not happy about that. One of the biggest regrets we'll have before the judgment seat of Christ is the little bit of attention we gave to his word. We have his Bible, and some of us in one in every room. We have every version there is. And we probably read it less than many countries in the world. And if you're not familiar, if I'm not familiar with God's word, there's no way you're going to thrive in the days ahead as a Christian. You may survive, but you're not going to thrive. And God has been giving us that message now for ever. This is not new to us. It just makes sense. Jesus had an encounter with the Sadducees. They were arguing some theological points with him and challenging him. And, of course, they were wrong, and he was right. Imagine that. Jesus was right. And do you know what Jesus said to him? You do err, or you are in error because you don't know the Scriptures. That's your problem. You don't know the Scriptures. When you're talking to people out there, they're not going to know the Scriptures. Don't be drawn into their argument. Make sure you're basing what you're saying is on Scripture. And that's why we need to know Scripture, or we're at a loss. Well, I don't really know what to say to that. We need to know Scripture. When the devil attacked Jesus, we think it was only three times because there's three responses, but the, the wording is, for 40 days, Jesus was under the pressure of the devil. And when he did respond to him, what was his first phrase? It is written, it is written, it is written. Even Jesus didn't just try and reason with the devil. He quoted God's word. We need to know the word. You can ignore this admonishment from God, and you can suffer the consequences if you do. Just think about it. Last week's, last week's application, God is incredibly faithful to fulfill his promises to us. How do we even know that? Because it comes from the Word. You couldn't even know that if you didn't know the Word. You'd be at a loss. You know, I'm sick. No hope. Wait a minute. There's promises of healing in the Scripture. But if you don't know the Scripture, you don't know that. So you're at the whim of the sickness or whatever else you got coming. How do we even know what God's promises are if we're not familiar with His Word? It's where the promises are found. We must be thoroughly familiar with God's Word to live effectively and successfully for Him. It's always been that way. It's going to be critical in the days ahead. Our principal point today, our principal, our principal and our point today 
is in order to correctly handle all these things that come at us, yes, I'm going I'm to step up, man, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to get involved here and there. All hell breaks loose. You're like, what? What? Yeah. And back off. In order to correctly handle all that stuff, the delays, the obstacles, the opposition, we must know God's word. Very simple. Very simple. Too simple, maybe. Like last week, we're going to close by looking at verses that support this main point. These verses that I'm going to give, they do not speak to specific teachings of the word, of overcoming certain delays or obstacles. These verses all support our principle that we need to give attention to. We need to become thoroughly familiar with the Word of God if we want to be effective and successful serving Him in these days ahead. I told you this is not new to you, but it's a new urgency that God's bringing. So like last week, sit back. Not much commentary on my part. And just let the powerful Word of God speak to you on this matter. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book, Scripture, Bible, whatever word you want to use there. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Pretty straightforward. Psalm 1, 2, and 3, same thought. Those who delight in the law of the Lord, Scripture, the Bible, meditating on it day and night, they're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. One comment on this one, those who are thoroughly familiar with the Word of God are not easily moved and are not easily shaken by the twists and turns of life in the world. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I will pursue, so pursue with all of my heart, I will pursue your commands for you expand my understanding. Psalm 119.48, I honor and I love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. I would venture to say in the church there are people who don't think about God's word at all all day long. It's not even in your mind. God is so patient and so merciful with us that we haven't suffered the consequences of that. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. I meditate. I ruminate. I let them just run through my thinking and become a part of me. Acts 17, 11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. 1 Thessalonians, when you received this message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. And I hope you understand that the Bible is not just a book of mere human ideas. It was written by human authors under the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's God's word to us. It's God's voice to us 
when you're reading the Bible, let me, let me give it the opposite. When you're praying, which most all of us do a lot, we're talking to God. When we're reading the Bible, God is speaking to us, and we need to begin to understand that. It's just not a normal book, an ordinary book. You accepted what we said as the very Word of God, which of course it is, and this Word continues to work in you who believe. 1 Timothy 4. Until I get there, focus on reading the Scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. Last, 1 Peter 2.2. Like newborn babies, you should long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may be nurtured and grow. This Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. Being thoroughly familiar with the Word keeps us moving forward, keeps us not so easily moved off course when opposition, obstacles, delays, all those negatives come in. When we're trying to arise to serve God, all those things come in to hinder us. A thorough thorough knowledge of the Scripture will go a long way to get us through that. To get us through in the way Scripture says, more than conquerors. Not staggering across the finish line on our knees. No, we're going to be walking victoriously across the finish line. That's the promise of Scripture. You're more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. If we want to rise above those things that confront us in the world, we must build our lives. You hearing me now? This is the last thing I'm going to say. We must build our lives on the Word of God. And God's going to hold us accountable to that. And just because nothing seems to be happening doesn't mean that He's not keeping us serious about that. He will ask us about that in my mind. We need to build our lives on the Word of God. Okay, if you'll stand with me. And Sonny will come, bring the band, and once the band's in place, will you pray to close the message? So, Father God, we just thank you for the message we've heard, Father. We just thank you for the, the many obstacles that you do put in front of us because that builds our strength, Father. We need to just totally trust in you no matter what the obstacles may be or what we think they are, Father. There's no obstacles bigger than you. So, Father, we just call upon your name during this week and that you would just take these things that are coming against us, Father, and that you would fight those battles for us, Father. So we just thank you for that. We praise you for that, Father, in Jesus' name.